I believe that interaction between the consumer and the brand is radically changing. And in a way that I used to frame it with our clients is like before brands were providers like products and services, but now consumers look at brands as their peer, almost as a family member, as a friend, even as a lover. Even as a lover? A really interesting take on how the relationship between brands and consumers is shifting. So let's find out why my guest, Martina Rocca, cultural strategist and foresight lead at WGSN, argues why you and I now want more from our brands, love and friendship even. Welcome back to Lives of Tomorrow. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN. And in this episode, we're discussing the future of the poly crisis. We'll explore the ecological, economic and cultural crises, how they're all interlinked and the ways this impacts brands' consumer relationships. Putting love on pause for just one moment, I kick things off by asking Martina to introduce herself to all our listeners. My name is Martina Rocca. I am Italian, currently based in Milan, and I'm foresight lead and cultural strategist for WGSN Insight which is the behavioural and cultural uh, research intelligence of WGSN. So let's look back a little bit to how you've got here, and then we've got a really interesting topic to discuss today. Was there a moment in your career or a particular person that you think has been very pivotal to getting you to where you are today? It was a person and a moment. So between my 20s and my 30s, I lived in London and I actually studied there. And during my educational journey, during my educational process, actually on the first day, I attended a lecture held by Professor Anthony Dunne. Anthony Dunne is an educator, is a designer, and is also an author. And together with his wife, uh, Fiona Rabi, they kind of created uh, the concept, the, the application of speculative design. So for me, it was a very mind-opening moment because he showed me the importance and the power of design as a tool not only to create like beautiful and functional products or objects but also as a tool to transform the world to really challenge the way we think the way we behave the way that we interact with our reality around us and to create like a better future that's a lovely story it's so positive as well and you listen to lots of people who talk about how creativity can solve the world's problems, but maybe less about how design can be used. And anyway, I know it's it's going to be a big topic for us as we discuss the poly crisis, which is kind of top of our conversation today, which sounds very, very negative, but is a situation that we find ourselves in at the moment. So can you explain what a poly crisis is and how that impacts individuals, consumers, how it impacts our needs and also our behaviours at the moment. Yeah, let's start by defining what is a polycrisis. So we are living a very unique historic moment as a global society where multiple crises are unfolding simultaneously. We've been in a period of crisis in the past, but this moment is very unique because of this connection of these different crises. We have an ecological crisis, we have an economic crisis, we have a refugee crisis, we have a cultural crisis. So the traditional institutional pillars of the past, such as religion, 
are kind of fading away. So I define this as like a cultural crisis. And we have like a geopolitical war crisis at the moment, especially in, in Europe. This poly crisis is really transforming the reality around us at global level. And securities that in the past we gave for granted, such as, for example, access to incontaminated water, access to incontaminated air, uh, food security, social cohesion, these securities are no guaranteed anymore. And this is really impacting uh, the reality around the consumer life. And it's, pushes, it's pushing them to reset their priorities, to reset their motivations and to reshuffle their needs. So basic needs that were given for granted in the past are no longer guaranteed. So the bottom line of the hierarchy of needs of consumers is becoming a priority. In the traditional way of looking at consumer needs, we have like a pyramid and at the bottom we have like the basic needs, which is, for example, food security and community. But this is no longer bottom, it's actually top in the current polycrisis situation. And so if that triangle is being upended, presumably that impacts the safety and security that consumers feel, and that's that's on all myriad different levels. How are you tracking the change in behaviour as a consequence of that? So we start, like, it's important to understand that behind needs, there is always like an emotion, a perception, a motivation. So we start tracking emerging consumer emotions. So what's happening in the emotional ecosystem of our consumers and what is the context around this uh, shift, this change? So we analyze these two forces and through the analysis and the study of these forces, you can understand what is going to drive the consumer behaviors, what are going to be the needs. If you are surrounded by a polycrisis, uh, if you are surrounded by several threats that happen simultaneously, you will likely fear uh, negative emotions such as insecurity, fear, anxiety, even depression. And therefore, this is going to drive like a specific kind of behavior, like a specific kind of need you might need, you might seek for like experiences, products that drive a sense of comfortability, assurance, calmness. So that's how we track. And how are you tracking and investigating how institutions, and those institutions might be governmental, they might be businesses, they might be consumer brands, how they are reacting to this. And have you seen quick positive reactions or do you feel that this poly crisis is also gripping institutions in the same way that it's gripping individuals? So let's begin by saying that the world around us is changing radically. So the traditional frameworks that define life in the past, in the 20, 30 years ago, are really changing, driven by different innovations, also by the, the multiple crises we are living. So some companies are adapting very quickly, others are struggling. But something that I always try to stress uh, through our work is the interaction and the relationship between the consumer and the institution and the brand is changing also radically. So consumers expect brand to become beyond providers of like services and products, but to establish a very human and deep connection to them and therefore to take more responsibility and to act not only as like commercial entities, but also as very human and community-led entities. And this is very important. And here I would like to bring maybe like a data point that really enhance this concept. The Edelman Trust Barometer 2023, which is like a macro report global around 28 countries and among like 
over 30,000 consumers. And they analyze trust, how trust is evolving among, among the global populations. This year, they released a paper at the beginning of the year. They found that brand business is the most trusted institution over NGOs, over media, over institutions and over governments. So this really shows like the importance of the relationship between brands and consumers and the responsibility and the expectations that consumer put into, into business. That's quite astonishing, isn't it? That people who we give money to for the products that we maybe eat, put in our wardrobes, in our bathroom cupboards, we trust them more than the governments that arguably we have voted in to lead our countries. And is this a direct impact of the poly crisis? It is. Definitely is also connected to the fact that brands are becoming more and more powerful. If we think about macro, macro corporates in the tech environment, for example, they are really becoming enormous forces, not only economically, but also like as thought leader, as cultural, as cultural innovators, as game changers. So they really have a lot of power and this power can be used to transform the world around them and really act and, and create change and transformation. Does that make you nervous, though, that unaccountable bodies are now more trusted by the general population than institutions which will be held to particular laws and have responsibilities? Is that concerning for you? Because when you look at it on the face in that way, that worries me slightly. I mean, I'm not saying that necessarily my, my trust in some governments around the world is that high, but you know, again, I don't know, the tech that I'm investing my money in now, actually, the relationship there is stronger than the people who are making the laws of the country that I live in. It concerns me because it's also something very new. So we are not, for example, we don't have yet like a body of the legislation, for example, around the use of artificial intelligence or space travel that really kind of regulate the behavior of these like macro corporate and macro companies. But also I'm positive because I'm seeing brands becoming very responsible and really taking all this energy, all this like expectation in a very serious way, challenging themselves and deciding to transform even their business model to react and adapt to these emerging needs. We saw a lot of brands like, for example, Patagonia, Nike, really taking on responsibility and challenging business as usual and embracing a new way of thinking and, and doing business. And this gives me hope. We'll take just a little pause on the topic um, just to kind of get to know you a little bit better, but we're definitely going to come back to this. So I've just got some questions. I ask them to all the guests on the podcast. Um, it usually throws up a few insightful kind of windows into your personality. So let's start with when and how do you prioritise yourself? So I prioritise myself mainly in my routine. I have like specific rituals that I take every day to make me feel grounded and to create like a space for myself and reconnect with my with my energy and be able to navigate the world like more positively and more in balance. Give me an example of one of those rituals. Very simple. I do, for example, dry body brushing uh, with like a natural sponge in the morning and in the evening. And this is my moment in silence, in perhaps in a space of the house where uh, I'm very comfortable, where the light is good. And it's like a five minute ritual that really like makes me feel comfortable and, and grounded where I can reconnect with myself. That's really lovely. What will you eat if you're home alone and no one is watching? 
So my mom is a nutritionist, so junk food was forbidden. So I would eat a lot of junk food. I'm a big fan of like candies, popcorns, crisps. So I would eat a lot of these, even all together and enjoy the moment. I, very similar, we grew up in a household where everything was very healthy, very home cooked, even though my mum didn't really enjoy cooking. But, you know, the health food shop was where any kind of treats came from. So it was like carob bars and things which just tasted disgusting. And honestly, the minute I left home, it was like, I could drink fizzy drinks. (laughs) It was like the most exciting thing. (laughs) What is your bad habit if it's not just eating lots of candy? Rejecting perfection and try to control things that cannot be controlled. The poly crisis and actually COVID-19 was a big lesson for me to kind of embrace life as it is, as a flow with imperfections, with good moments and bad moments. So yeah, that's my bad habit. Okay. When did you last learn something new that had an impact on the way that you live your life? I recently attended a very interesting symposium in um, Milan Triennale, which is like a sort of design and culture center in uh, Milan. And the theme was radical repair. And there were a lot of like designers and architects from like the global creative world speaking. Something that emerged that really made sense for me was the concept of humility, the awareness of the negative implications of the human ego. And this really impacted me because from a personal level, I found it very interesting, kind of embracing humility because it's a very powerful quality that can unlock positive things, empathy with others, with nature, and also reflecting further if humility can be a powerful skill and a powerful quality for businesses as well, because it really will enable them to connect with their stakeholders, with the community and deeply listen to the needs of their community and create like a more like symbiotic and positive relationship with them. Okay. I feel like there's like a lot I could have just learned from that. Maybe I need to see if there's a recording of that talk. And finally, a very unserious one to wrap up with. What was the last TV series you binge watched? I'm not a big fan of series. I love movies. I do a lot of like movie marathons and I recently subscribed to a very nice kind of indie and underground streaming platform. And I watched recently a very nice movie by Wes Anderson, Mr. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox, yeah. Brilliant film. <laughs> Let me do <laughs> Beautiful. It's so creative and very nice principles. It is an amazing film. And it was when my stepkids were younger, that was a film. We watched it many times because they loved it. But I could appreciate the beautiful aesthetics of this kind of classic story. So, yeah, it's a great film. Okay, so let's get back to the topic in hand and look to the future now. So how do you expect the poly crisis to evolve? And maybe let's just think about kind of the next five to 10 years, how do you think that poly crisis is going to evolve? Definitely the climate crisis is going to be a driving force. This is a big changer for everybody, including business and the consumer. So definitely it's going to be a priority in consumer needs. Ecological security, even the access to experiencing nature, having the possibility to walk in a forest or to bath in a clean sea. These are things that we give for granted, but in 10 years, 
it might be almost like a luxury to experience a moment like this, especially because climate disruptions and climate catastrophes are um, forecasted to increase in the next 10 years. So definitely this ecological crisis is going to be a driving force in terms of consumer needs. Also authenticity, artificial intelligence is really transforming the way we make sense of the world around us. What is truth? Who embodies truth? So consumers will increasingly create their idea of truth, create the idea of like what is fake and what is true. So truth is going to be very much fragmented and more individualized, but they will still looking for like institutions or business that embody this authenticity, which is going to become very much almost like a, a need across all stakeholders. Everything I'm listening to at the moment, and you know, this isn't necessarily new information for me, but the way you're articulating it is really clever. It's going to require different kinds of leadership, both as someone who employs many hundreds of people, but also, you know, if you're at the head of a brand, if you are concerning yourself with those things and connections rather than maybe selling products, that's a whole new, I guess, um, dynamic that you need to think about. It's not new as, and there's been a lot of buzzwords about authenticity. It kind of feels like a quite overused words, especially, especially in the kind of marketing sense of it and values as well. But I think a lot of that was about spin and it was about a way of maybe selling more. Whereas you're saying now, this is just about having a connection with your your consumer of today and certainly your consumer of tomorrow. So that's, you're going to need a sort of different education or career training to be able to take on those leadership positions if this poly crisis continues, which you're saying absolutely will do. I believe that interaction between the consumer and the brand is radically changing. And and a way that I used to frame it with our clients is like before brands were providers like products and services, but now consumers look at brands as their peer almost as a family member, as a friend, even as a lover. And they are looking, they're expecting to experience the aspects of a real human relationship, authenticity, even vulnerability. If I make a mistake, I take responsibility over it. Emotional connection, intimacy, love. So really this challenges the traditional way of making business. As you mentioned, like the set of qualities that a business leader needs to have. Humility, for example, deep listening, emotional intelligence. These are going to be like key skills for leaders, for CEOs to, to manage their companies, even for uh, politicians, but mainly for, for businesses. But this is very important. So the suggestion, the advice I give to our clients is always imagine your customers as your peers, as your family. How would you treat them? How would you interact with them? If you make a mistake with your siblings or with your friend, would you take accountability? Of course you do. You create like an authentic moment to have like a real conversation and connect with the other person and take responsibility. So I think that's a core of the shift that is going to unfold in the future. So what very, so we talked about it sort of from the brand side and what's driving that, but what very specific consumer behaviours do you think we're going to see? So not necessarily their expectations, but behaviours from consumers because of the poly crisis in the future. Like behaviours driven by like the changing needs, definitely something around the need for universal protection. The poly crisis is really threatening every aspect of the consumer life. Every aspect 
from like access to food, experiences, emotions, like every the, the connection with others, every aspect. So really consumers are experiencing a set of negative emotions such as anxiety, sadness, even nostalgia, fear. So they are really seeking for like products, services or experiences that give them a sense of having back the control over their life. A sense of security, a sense of protection, and of course, consumers in the past will always look for protection and, and security into the product, but now it's going to be holistic. So they will look for services and products that help them to feel secure economically, ecologically, socially, across all the spectrum of their, their life. So this is going to be a key driver of different behaviours. We're talking about how brands respond in a polycrisis. What about solving the polycrisis? Because the very definition of it is there's lots of things going wrong at the same time. And we are much better equipped if there is one thing that's going wrong and other things are more straightforward. What about solutions? Do you see a place for, well, individuals in that, brands within that? How do we navigate out of the polycrisis? First of all, polycrisis, one of the main characteristics of a polycrisis that is complex. So it's a complex puzzle and it cannot be solved by just one entity. It needs to be a collective effort, a collective connection that creates the solution together. So collectivity, community is going to be like a key concept that is going to drive a lot of behaviors and shifts in the future across all aspects of consumer and business uh, realities. So governments, institutions, NGOs, creatives, designers, consumer brands need to connect, need to come together and create solutions in symbiosis. Whose responsibility is to bring all those fractions together, do you think? Everyone. People, consumers need to take more responsibility and really be aware that they have a power of action through their choices, through their individual behavior in this collective reality. But everybody, I mean, of course, like brands have a very strong position economically in terms of like top leadership, in terms of like even just reaching globally through their supply and change. These are enormous systems that if even they activate like small change, they can really transform the world globally. So, but I think everybody has a responsibility in this game. So even at the individual level. When you look to the future, do you see opportunities for individuals to play more of a part in the accountability for all of these things? So you're talking about the the lack of trust there and therefore, or maybe the lack of trust with traditional institutions and therefore we're looking for answers elsewhere. How much of it is in the individual's gift to manage that crisis internally? So this is a topic that I'm starting to analyse in my work in, in behavioural analysis. And I thought that capitalism, but also the rise of artificial intelligence, is making consumers and people in general less responsible. So we are delegating our choices, even vital choices, such as finding your romantic partner, to technology. This at the core of our brain is really making us less responsible. So we are willing to delegate this choice, which is like fundamental and can really transform our life to a third party, to like a technology system, to an algorithm. So I feel that from like a more 
anthropologic and, and psychological side, this is kind of making our brain less willing to take decisions and therefore less responsible. But I think that here there is an opportunity also for brands and governments to really play and, and connect with consumers and help them to regain this responsibility and really become aware that their actions, their thoughts, their behaviours have a tangible and physical impact on the world. I think this is so interesting because the advice here is that as a brand, you are going to have to fill this void and that you are going to have to answer your consumers' needs. But actually... What you need is also for consumers to take some of that responsibility themselves. So it comes back to, you know, you're saying everybody is in this together. And if everybody puts their hands up and says it's someone else's responsibility, expectations get kind of out of line. And it's difficult for everyone, especially on a kind of more business side, to balance all those different needs trying to solve the world's crisis while running a successful business or selling a product. And that idea that, yeah, I think all of us need to understand that we do offload quite a lot of that. We want other people to make decisions because if other people have made those decisions, if they're the wrong decisions, there's someone else to blame there as well. But if we don't take that accountability, then we won't move into a more positive future. So there's a lot in there to unpack, but just talking about it and people being aware of that and maybe not just placing those problems at the institution where they work, maybe, or the institutions around them that they expect to do that, hopefully might mean that some of this polycrisis, if it's not going to go away, is easier for us to deal with. Yeah, from a brand perspective as well, it's like, okay, you need to fill the gap, but also you can use education. Like really educate your consumers on their responsibilities and help them to create this awareness that we discussed, like, you have a responsibility and it's important that you take this responsibility also for your growth, for your evolution, from like a human perspective. And again, the relationship goes back to being very human, the interaction between the brand and the, the consumer, helping each other to kind of point out the dark sides of being human, because also companies are made of humans, are made of people. So, and kind of helping each other to grow together, pointing out the different negative aspects of their personalities, of their behaviors, and help with this feedback, helping each other to, to grow. So it could be simply uh, from a brand perspective to help consumers and saying, you have a responsibility in this game. I have power. I know I have power and I'm going to try to use this power in the best way I can, but also you have power. And you can help me. And together we can address this polycrisis that is being negative for everyone. With all said and done and all the research that you put in, are you more positive or more anxious about the future? I'm both. Through our profession, we have this ability to see the future very clearly early than others, earlier than others. And we are currently, for example, now working on the macro forecast for 2026 and the world, the future doesn't look that bright. There is a lot of issues and complexities emerging from like artificial intelligence going extremely fast with regulations struggling to keep up. The ecological crisis is huge. And this is scary, you know, these are, and also those are challenges that humans have never faced before. So that's scary. But also I'm very awful because humans are very adaptive. We have creativity. We have imaginations. They are super powerful tools that can help us address these new challenges. I'm hopeful towards youth. I recently watched a very nice documentary on Italian young demographics talking about the future. 
these demographics are super strong. They are lead, led by by strong values, and these are the people that are gonna manage our companies in the future. They're gonna lead culture. They are gonna uh, be in politics, and they are very much value driven. So this gives me hopes and positivity. Amazing, Martina. Thank you so much. That was really fascinating. A lot of food for thought for me in terms of how I run WGSN. <laughs> Thanks again to my colleague Martina Rocca, cultural strategist and foresight lead at WGSN for taking time to join us, sharing her insights and her personal stories and anecdotes. We'll be back in two weeks. Make sure you check out our other podcast, Create Tomorrow, all about the future of product and design. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN. Thank you for sticking with us this far. Until next time. <laughs>